Good morning. Good morning. It has been a, a, a big pleasure in my life to, to be able to share this, to fellowship in the book of Romans with you guys um, and those joining us uh, on the live stream. Um, this has been one of the sweetest and most in-depth studies or things I've, I've ever undertaken. And now we're drawing close to the end. Romans chapter 15, before we begin, as you're turning there, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as you well know, um, people, uh, namely me, are totally inadequate to speak the word of God since we are not God and we're but men. And so we pray that you would anoint the scripture and the reading and teaching thereof with power, that we might see and savor the risen Lord, and that we might desire to follow in his footsteps. Lord, I am sorry that I have been so selfish. I pray that you would um, um, put your spirit in me and help me to listen to your voice to be more considerate. And I am sorry that I have not been very zealous, and I am very grateful that uh, your love was zealous for me as it was for your own glory, that in loving me, you might sanctify me and present each of us to you as an offering and a sacrifice for the glory of God. So now, Lord, we pray that you would point out anything in us that offends you, especially those things that hinder our unity and that we might more perfectly and uh, gloriously image Christ who is manifest in our midst when we are one. Amen. Let's read Romans chapter 15. We who are strong, everybody feels like he's talking to me. I love that. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as, as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant, a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. 
And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This section contains two of the three or four benedictions at the end of the book of Romans, and they're beautiful, and we've used them many weeks now. Why does Paul quote so many of these like identical Old Testament passages? If you look them up or if you look up the little references, it'll say that one's from the Psalms and others from the Psalms, one's from Isaiah, one's from Deuteronomy, and I think one's from 2 Samuel. So that covers every category of the whole Jewish scriptures. Paul is saying that everywhere from the law to the Psalms to the writings, Every section, there's no section of the Old Testament that isn't saying this. We've been leading up to this for a long time. And what's the controversy in, in, uh, in Rome, right? There are Jews and there are Gentiles. And in case you don't know, that spells trouble. Because in case you don't know, Jews and Gentiles are different. They're, they're very different. And Paul is saying, and this is super offensive to some Jews who are reading this, like, yeah, yeah, it's in the scripture. Yeah, yeah, we like practically have these scriptures all memorized. They probably all did. And, and he's saying this, there's this main point, this main thrust in the whole Old Testament that God is trying to tell us, us Jews, that basically he had mercy on us as a stepping stone to him having mercy on the Gentiles. I guess we're not all that special. It like disrupts their identity. This is hard to hear. So, the problem is that Jews and Gentiles are different. And many of the Jews in the church in Rome felt that they must faithfully keep on worshiping God according to the traditions they had before the gospel set them free to follow Christ completely. There were regulations. Don't handle this. Don't taste that. Don't touch this kind of thing. Normally, the gospel sets us free from those things to serve Christ and obey his commandments. As we grow in knowledge, like Daniel uh, taught last week, thank you for that excellent message. As we grow in knowledge, we become aware that Christ did not come to abolish the law and commandments of God in the Jewish scriptures, but to fulfill ceremonial regulations like the little thing, the little do's, you can call them the little do's and don'ts of the Old Testament, right? Christ came to fulfill the ceremonial regulations that were meant to point the Jewish people and the Gentile converts to Christ. But they don't have any value for making us holy. For example, we don't eat such and such kind of meat or don't drink a cup of wine because the batch or vintage might have been offered to an idol. It's the idea that we don't do that because we need to keep ourselves pure or separate from the world. But that idea applied to lots of things that God doesn't really say not to do. 
because they were fulfilled in Christ. The gospel frees us to worship in various ways and with a variety of styles and emphases, a variety of instruments and clothing styles, a variety of forms. But here are some of the congregants in the Christian church in Rome, namely the Jews, and their conscience tells them, I can't do those things. Why? Because of a poor understanding of the Bible. And the teaching here is that that is a weakness. It's a weakness when I misread or underread, if I, if I don't find fulfillment in Christ of these things that I read in the scripture, and I think, okay, I've got to be like um, a certain kind of like pro-Israel because that's what Christians, that's part of Christian culture. So I have to kind of, I have to, I have to support the country of Israel in like polit, by political stance and, and taking that to a kind of extreme. Or it's, um, it's uh, I've got I've to think according to these certain traditions that have been handed down to me. And I was taught this is the way we do church. This is the way we follow Christ. Often it's, it's, a, it's a political path or, or, a, or a way of Christian culture being expressed. And Paul is saying here, we don't see in ourselves our own weaknesses. It's almost impossible to see in ourselves the, way that, the ways that... Um, that I have a weakness, that is my conscience tells me I can't do that, but that's not really what God is saying, and that's not really true holiness. And, and God is creating a people who are fellowshipping from diverse backgrounds and even diverse levels of maturity and conviction, diverse levels of understanding. When your conscience tells you that you can't do something, due to a poor understanding of the Bible, that is a weakness. So here in the church in Rome, Jews had all these man-made rules. We've always done it that way, like we have today. It's very analogous. And Gentiles, who had been liberated by the gospel, saw their Jewish brothers as having a weak conscience. Weak, right? Their conscience was convicting them of something that Christ should have set them free from that sense of, I gotta follow that, or I'm guilty of some kind of sin if I don't follow the old, that Old Testament regulation, you know, about like clean and unclean food and whatnot. So what happened? The Jews shunned the Gentiles, and the Gentiles despised the Jews for their weakness. Mm. And this could happen in our own congregation, couldn't it? That's why we're reading this. There are some people in a congregation who do not relate to others in the same congregation, though we eat from the same table, the table of the Lord. And that's the issue here. But now, we are left with the fact that it's hard to transcend our differences of maturity and biblical interpretation or levels of wisdom in receiving the scripture and applying them, it's hard to transcend that in real life and have real fellowship and unity without the temptation of shunning and despising, without pride rising up in my heart because, well, I don't, I don't have to do that. Why are you, you know, setting all these rules up over me, right? 
You know, why are you making a law out of that? It's really hard to not lose our unity in real life over these kinds of issues. And for help today, as we continue in this passage, we're going to look at a real-life story where Jesus tackles this. We're going to look at a poem written by our very own Paul, the author of Romans, and a prayer from Christ that we might be one as he is one. And here we will find encouragement and hope that we really can worship him with one voice despite our differences. It is hard to be understanding of others because some of the things we hold dear or hold to be true, others do not share or may believe the exact opposite. But as someone once said, judging the motivations of the human heart is something that is best left to God. And so in Romans 14, we read that, who am I to judge the servant of another? And the point is that the difference between you and you, between me and him, between her and him, the difference between individual Christians in our congregation and among congregations and cultures and countries throughout the world, the differences between us, they are great. The differences in maturity levels and wisdom of understanding and applying the scriptures in theological emphases and tendencies, the differences are great. But let's put it in perspective. All of our differences are not as big, are not as great as the differences between humans and God. How did God resolve that difference and find fellowship with and among us? We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves Whoa, 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 an obligation? You're putting something on me. That goes right back to Romans 13.8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. One translation says, except the continuing debt to love one another. I am in debt. I do have an obligation to not please myself and to bear with the failings or immature biblical understanding and application of those with a weak conscience. And some of that weakness is mine, but I don't see my own weakness. Maybe you do. Um, thank you for pointing it out to me gently. How did Christ transcend that immeasurable gap between God and humans? As it is written, Christ did not please himself but as it is written in Psalm number 69, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So here Paul is quoting this Psalm where I believe it was David said the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And he's saying that this, like all the scriptures that were written down in the past, were written for our instruction so that we might see Christ in them. And that by seeing Christ fulfilling these scriptures 
and by finding a pathway towards worshiping him in true holiness and unity by searching the scriptures, we might have endurance and encouragement that leads to hope. Hope, largely, that we might actually be one church, not split by all these divisions and differences that have plagued the church for centuries and have, have distracted many from perceiving Christ when they look at Christians. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So this psalm quoted, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, is prophetically written about who? Christ. David wrote it by the uh, leading of the Holy Spirit about the Christ who was to come. And, it, and that verse kind of defines Christ's ways, his means of bridging this gap between God and man. What was Christ's attitude? That he bore the reproach that he didn't deserve for those who were reproachable. And that is the gospel in one verse. So Christ's way to approach the tremendous problem of division and disunity and differences and maturity and so on is that he decided not to come to be served. He didn't come down and like send prophets ahead of time to tell them, okay, I need you to build a temple and it better have a gold throne in it with ivory and like fancy steps and inlaid with this and that. And I want the trumpeters on one side and the stringed instruments on the other. These are the songs you're going to worship me with. I want like torches and candles and lights lit for miles. And I want that red carpet to be as long as the train of the robe that was in the temple in Isaiah's vision. And I'm going to come riding in on a white horse and, and, uh, and everybody's going to worship me and I will take my seat on my glorious throne. And instead of doing all that, which I still have a hard time wrapping my mind around why he didn't do that, but I guess it's out of his character and his, his eternal love and kindness in his heart towards the people that he made in his image, each of us, that he came instead as a little baby. And if you know anything about babies or children or you know, the medical field, babies don't uh, get delivered into the world in great glory and fanfare. Um, you know, they're small and they're not well-dressed. And, uh, and usually, hopefully, there's some level of privacy, you know, between the midwife and the family or the doctor, whoever, whatever's going on there. And um, Jesus didn't even have the luxury of a midwife. And, uh, you know, and, and, and in squalor, a borrowed stable, uh, to the one song says, to the anguish and the shame of scandal, you know, like everybody in town knew that his mom committed adultery. Or that's what they thought. Like that was the rumor that he grew up with. And now in our, you know, kind of liberated culture, that wouldn't be quite so scandalous. But in that culture, you would never, like, it's like if you've ever read, um, what's the book with Hester Prynne? The Scarlet Letter. It's like Mary, you know, now like the, the, 
the, the blessed Virgin Mary, and blessed in her own words, all generations will call me blessed, right? Of course, she wasn't a virgin after that, um, but uh, um, she had more kids, but uh, it, it was like she had a scarlet letter, A for adulteress, like written on her that she had to wear around for the rest of her life. Like, to many, she had a bad reputation, and this is Jesus' You know, this is the, the woman who bore the Christ. This is, these are inglorious and ignoble circumstances. He was rejected by men, even his own countrymen, his own brothers. And, and in becoming weak like us, he is able to understand us in our weakness to not to relate with us in the sense that there was anything wrong or impure or incomplete about him, but to totally relate with us in our weakness so that he, Christ, our older brother, our strong brother, might bring us up to maturity in these things. But do it with a gentleness and a meekness of soul that, that, that leads Paul early in, earlier in Romans to say, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, is it not? Amen. Christ came not to be served, but to serve. Please turn together to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. I love this one. Okay, so here we have some disciples who are weak in Paul's words. They're kind of immature in some spiritual things, right? Uh, they're kind of immature in their interpretation of eschatology, one might say. So here, Mark chapter 10, verse 35 James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And I can just see, see Jesus being like, uh, What do you want me to do for you? <laughs> and they said to him, Grant us that, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. What are they talking about? Are they talking about heaven? Or are they talking about the earthly kingdom that we've all been waiting for you to throw off the shackles of Rome and I want to be vice president one and I want to be vice president two. Can we have that? Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. They didn't even know what they were talking about. They didn't even know Jesus planned to go to the cross. They had no idea how he was going to, to, to be in his glory. In his glory, he was going to lay aside his glory, which we'll see in Paul's poem we're about to read, and he was going to come not to be served, but to serve. And he's about to tell him, and if you're really going to follow me, if we are really going to follow him, this is the way to follow him. Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They, they still don't know he's going to be crucified and, and, and beaten and ashamed, right? And so what do they say? We are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And what do you think the other disciples standing close by listening thought of James and John, these thunderous brothers then? They were indignant. And Jesus called them to him and said, 
Come on, guys, have a seat. And he said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. You know, like with, like, like hammer it, like, like serve me. They lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. That doesn't mean like they give them orders, tell them what to do. It means like they revel in their near deity being like the top of the top and they, they're like Caesar treated, you know, the rest of the empire beneath him when they're burning incense to him. It's, it's when people have like this incredible hubris and pride of life, like I'm at the upper echelon of society and everybody else's pawn scum or, or whatever, and nobody's at my educational or intellectual or, or authority or like level or promotional level. Like that's, that's, that's how the world works. Their great ones exercise authority over them like that. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your diakonos, your deacon, your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be bond slave or bond servant or slave of all. You remember how the book of Romans opened? Paul, a bond slave of Christ Jesus. That's his identity. And that, if, you're, if you are in Christ, is your identity. The book of Romans also closes with Paul identifying himself as the rest of us as bond slaves of Christ Jesus, which we'll see in a week or two. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, your diakonos, and whoever would be first among you would, must be bond slave of all. That means of everybody else. So much for like the glory of promotions in church leadership. For even the Son of Man, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here we begin to see what kind of followers Jesus wants. Are you going to follow Christ? That's how to do it. And in this, as we find endurance and encouragement from the scriptures, we also are given hope from these same scriptures. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. What does in accord with? What does that mean? In harmony, in equal step, yeah, in unity and togetherness, in fellowship, in family in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the goal. Gospel witness that is built on uh, the foundation of faith and of Christ's, Christ's work and his call. And, and the first layer of the house is, is the unity of believers and after that comes effective evangelism, uh, you know, that begins with prayer. But, but our unity and, and prayers for others to be brought into the one fold are the 
prerequisite to effective evangelism. Our evangelism will not be effective if we don't have the kind of unity that he's talking about here. It's not, it's not really going to work. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, a poem by Paul. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. This is his poem. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bond slave, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, he laid aside his rights. And that is the way of the cross. And it's part of the pathway to Christian unity. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father with one voice, every tongue, saying, wow, first, this God transcends the, uh, the gap between God and man, and he takes humanity upon himself, marvelous. And now, he's taken those who were sinners like the rest of us, and he's bound them to himself by serving them in humility, and he's lifted them up as saints and called them to be one holy people, and I can see in their unity that there must be a God. And therefore, the world will believe that Jesus is sent from the Father. I'd like to have everybody stand, please. Please stand with me for our next reading from the book of John, chapter 16. Stand if you can. John chapter 16, starting in verse 27. Here, put yourself in the room with the disciples. Put yourself in the room at the Last Supper with the disciples. Here, Jesus saying to you, the Father himself loves you. because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. 
I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am, I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them and I am no longer in the world but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled." But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one." 
just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Do you feel the heart of Christ your master in this prayer? Are you his bond slave? Share them in your master's will. Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Amen. Please be seated. We were made to glorify God. There are many ways we glorify God. What uh, Pastor John Piper said is that we are most glorified in God when we are most satisfied in Him. What Christ and Paul are saying here is that God is most glorified in us when we are most unified in Him. Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Genesis chapter 1, on the day when God created man and woman together, he said of his creation, very good. God is most glorified in us when we are most unified in him, and thereby we more brightly display the image of God, and when two or three are gathered in his name, there he is among us, and we are seen as a city that's up on a hill, and everybody can see us. Everybody can see the light of Christ who gives the city light because Christ is the light of the world, and now he says to us, you are the light of the world. How then are we resolving our conflicts? How are we doing at conflict resolution in families and households with other congregations, with other traditions, with other weaker or stronger brothers in the faith around the world? How are we at gossiping versus resolving to let our speech and our actions be only that which builds another up? Guard then the doors of your mouth. How are we at communicating across denominational lines without judging each other? These other Christians are servants of Christ, not of me. Who am I to judge somebody else's servant? God has called us, all of us, to live in unity. There are minor things like food, eating food, drinking, but those are minor issues. Those are small things to God. For God, it's like he doesn't care. How could two sisters or brothers or two families of Christ live in harmony with each other if they have certain differences in their lifestyle. You have one brother 
who is trying to bring another brother into his mindset so that they can live in harmony. But it is impossible for a Jew to have a Gentile mindset. The only way that these two brothers live in harmony with one another is to emphasize the things that really matter, the things of Christ. Those are the only things that matter. The rest don't really matter. If both of these brothers care only about the things of Christ, then they can live in harmony with each other. United with Christ, we have more in common with each other than not in common. There is tremendous diversity in the family of God, which is the church of churches worldwide. There are more styles and flavors in Christianity than there are flavors of fruit. But we are all connected at the root. And that root is Christ. Being bound to Christ necessarily means that we are bound to one another. He is the head and we are the body. He is the king and we are the bond slaves and servants. And there is nothing better in life than being a bond slave of Christ. Nothing else satisfies. Being a servant of Christ obligates us to serve one another, to bear with the failings of the weak, to build each other up for the other's good, and not to please ourselves because God is most glorified in us when we are most unified in Him. Our evangelism is just about null and void if we don't see the heart of Christ our Master and imitate Him in pursuing unity by accepting the identity, the God-given identity that we have in Christ. We are bond slaves of Christ and therefore living as bond slaves of one another, building each other up for the good of the other. God is most glorified in us when we are most unified in Him. There are many things that matter. There are many things that don't. But above all, keep loving each other earnestly because love covers over a multitude of sins and immaturities. Amen.